0: We were on a
1: six week hiatus.
0: Was it really six weeks? Yeah. It went quick, huh? Went real quick. I feel like I I still got nothing done. (laughs) We got a lot. I mean we did. We all got a lot done. I have a bathroom. My hair has grown grown up right now. (laughs) My nails have grown. Yeah. (laughs) I I desperately need a pedicure in my life. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Gem Junkies. I'm Brecken, And I'm Jonathan. And we're back, baby. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Six Six weeks.
0: Yeah, this is our third day back in the office since being allowed to reopen. Yep. And uh, closed at the end of March or... Yeah. uh, Third week of March. Third week of March. And just uh, living the dream with the twins at home. Yeah. I guess. I think that it was the first week I looked at Jonathan and I think... Maybe I was stressed out because I was washing so many dishes. It was after breakfast. The girls were wild. And I looked at them and I said, how are we going to do this for yeah. three weeks? And then we got extended. <laughs> so. I just remember, I'm like, how many loads of dishes have I done in a day? Yeah, we've never done Yeah, like we've never, never, yeah, like we've never run
1: the dishwasher twice <laughs> in a day before, yeah. but we definitely did several times. Yeah. Several wow. Because Brecken got into baking.
0: I well, yeah. I think everybody got into baking. I didn't. I got into baking late in quarantine,
1: which was probably good because I lost weight. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's good. I was gonna say you both look really nice. I am you. The other have the COVID nineteen, like the freshman nineteen. <laughs> the COVID fifteen. I was just like. <clears throat> Yeah, so I we couldn't find yeast, uh, baking yeast at the at, at the, the grocery beginning. store mm-hmm. at the beginning. So every time we would go, I'd say, look for yeast, look for yeast. And finally, I think what finally, two, two or three one, weeks into it,
1: I finally found it. He found he found
0: yeah. one jar, the last, jar, last jar at Albertsons, so and uh, I made cinnamon raisin bread three times. Three times.
1: <laughs> three it progressively times. got better.
0: <laughs> <It> <laughs> The first time, I never baked because I would always kill the yeast and I was always so scared of it because I always thought, I don't know what temperature, so the water would be too hot. The water would be too cold. I couldn't get it right. And finally, I I got like my little candy thermometer and I would microwave it for like two seconds and check the temperature. Microwave it for two seconds. I, I got a bit obsessive. The first round of cinnamon raisin bread rose beautifully, looked beautiful, smelled beautiful while it was baking. I pulled it out of the oven too early. It was raw in the middle. Yeah, and you can't go back from that. You can't put it no, back. No, because once it rises, yeah, there's and, no going back. Yeah, yeah, it fell. Uh, we ate the edges. It was <laughs> It was.
1: It, was <laughs> it tasted good, but we. Why didn't. did you
0: even attempt to eat that if it was raw? No, it was, only it was raw in the center of the loaf. Raisin bread, oh.
1: like the center <laughs> of the just loaf. Like, so you like plus, slice, yeah, you slice the four sides off Plus, and just, you get the little dough ball awesome. in
0: the middle. I made a huge effort. I looked at Jonathan and I was like, we will not waste this food. Because that was my biggest concern through this whole thing was how much food people were buying and the amount of food waste there was going to be. So I looked at Jonathan and I was like, we are not wasting a darn thing. We didn't thing. waste anything. And we didn't.
1: Very little. We have
0: not, yeah. I'd say
1: less than what we normally waste on a weekly basis. I mean, there's always a few vegetables that don't, you know, quite make it.
0: That aren't as fresh as you think you, they would have them. But okay, so then the second attempt, I overbaked it. I, it was a rocky. she was, got
1: she got also she, got into sewing I also and got, got a little into sidetracked selling. yeah and so she set the timer for the full time even though she I was supposed to, to me ahead it halfway of time and
0: tent it and tent it
1: if it started to get dark too
0: brown yeah I. I it was Jonathan ate it
1: I loved it it was crispy on the outside which I like and, then and it was had like, like a chewy. cinnamon sugar yeah. and then it was a little bit chewy on the inside I thought it was really good and then the really third good.
0: loaf was perfection, perfection. I had I a perfect. slice for breakfast this That's morning awesome. perfect <laughs> Um, and yeah i got into sewing face masks i sewed what i think like 12 face masks for the office staff so we could yeah all, so i think
1: you sewed what
0: well 20? i sewed. yeah i think probably 20 total 20, it was a learning masks. curve my first one i still have it to i should bring it in and show you like my first one versus my yeah. the one i just stitches did. are
1: better and
0: well and yeah it's a little bit better i took sewing when i was eight years old and jonathan bought her me a sewing machine 10 years ago for christmas
1: still in the box that
0: was still in the box i'd never <laughs> opened it and our my friends our friends monos and kelly um they work with omi or he works with, yeah. with omi purvey and uh, they were doing what they called the mask makers collective and making masks for frontline workers and basically anybody who wanted it, it yeah. so they came out with this pattern and i thought well I I can't do this. And then I kept... As the weeks kept going on, I kept getting more bored or needing Mm -hmm. something just to do that was... And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to try it. Yeah. So I ordered all my supplies from Joann's, drove. They brought it out to my car. and drove off and and started making masks. And I still have a lot of fabric. So I can make a lot more masks, but anyway so did that for the staff as far as the business aspect goes uh one of our biggest things was being able to keep the team our together. whole team together yeah. and i remember for three weeks before we closed i kept having this feeling like it was going to happen and i remember sitting down in frank's office saying what are we going to do because i don't want to lay anyone off like right. that's that wasn't even an option for me if we could figure out a way not to do it right and so we so the knew the PPP
1: thing came through so we and got And we
0: it. knew financially that we had made some really good decisions earlier sure. in the year and last year that set us up for a few months that we could handle this. And then the PPP thing came through and we got approved for that. And so we're able to maintain everybody and that was exciting. So everybody's back back at work now and, and I'm
1: excited to be back. That was the main thing that I really liked is that you know the whole team came back and we're like we're ready to get to work.
0: Yeah, and like everybody
1: pro- was like, "Please, <laughs> please, let me come back to work." Yeah, I remember. I will Marty. never. Yeah. I will never say I. I have to go to work anymore yeah. like i'm so happy
0: i know and our production manager paul said everybody's so excited to come back to work and we do have existing orders like we have yeah, orders we have for pieces orders that our production on. team needs to work on and he's like they're gonna all be like super geared up ready to go full throttle and i was like tell them to you know slow their roll a little bit because we don't know what the future holds let's just make sure we do everything right, right.
1: yeah
0: and and we don't need to plow through this but let's let's just you know take our time and do it right and and that's exciting and i think personally for me with the way our business has been for so many years probably since i've started here it's like go 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 one thing after another after another after another and you don't ever get a chance to take a deep breath and center yourself and say what does our future look
1: like yeah what Do we want who do we want to be when we yeah, grow up? Yeah, who
0: do we want to be when we grow up? What is our when purpose when you're in the
1: day to day in the trenches? You forget about your focus of the long term. So, yeah. I think it gave us a lot of time definitely to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the pod, uh, a lot of the online conferences, and all that kind of stuff really was helpful and, yeah. and it helped us gain focus even though the focus may be a little different than where we were six weeks ago obviously before all this yeah Uh, our focus we had to reevaluate and the other thing is it did is it made my dad comfortable with uh stepping back stepping back (laughs) in retirement It did. like i think my dad wasn't sure what he was going to do with his time during retirement and after this six weeks he's like i "I got i can do this (laughs) i got which is really which is really funny because i was like my dad will never retire because yeah. he just
0: he needs things to he do. needs
1: things to do and what is he gonna do and i yeah. think he had that same kind of idea and now he's like yeah you don't need me back i got
0: he's I got laying railroad ties in his yard he's digging out things and putting <laughs> gravel down he's, projects he's tearing all his bushes out of his back he says it Er, for uh, his for background. fire protection. For, he says it's for fire protection. It is. It looks
1: way better. It his yard look looks, looks amazing now.
0: We're super excited and super positive about what the future brings and and what the year is going to bring, and also that we were able to step back and take a deep breath and and reevaluate our role in this and. And what we want to do. So on to our podcast. Sorry we laid in on the the COVID closure, but I think it was important to talk about it. It also helps me process it because I'm not going to tell you every day was wonderful because it wasn't. I cried a lot. So on to our podcast. We've got a gemstone, which we haven't. We haven't done in. No. When was the last gemstone we did? Birthstone. Oh, when, but that was, that's, that's not, not really, really a gem. Really a Chrysoprase. Yeah, we just Chrysoprase. Oh, yeah, I yeah, said yeah. just before Sorry. closure.
1: Okay. It wasn't that long ago. It, it, was, it, our feels last bo- like it was our it last feels, podcast. It was our last <laughs> podcast. It
0: was our last po- but it feels like <laughs> decades. Ages. Yeah. 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 So we have a very exciting one. It is... Um,
1: lapis lazuli. Yeah,
0: lapis lazuli. Uh, lapis is Latin for stone. And lazuli comes from the Persian word lazuward, which means blue. So blue stone. Yep. And it, we have uh, humanity has been using it for what we know over sixty five hundred years, but probably longer.
1: Yeah, it could even be longer because they've it, they found lapis beads at Neolithic burials. Oh yeah, that's and older Neolithic 6, is ten thousand BC, so that's twelve thousand years ago. Is the beginning of the Neolithic period. Dang! But it went from ten thousand BC to forty five hundred BC. Um, is is the Neolithic period, and they found lapis beads. So it it's arguably one of the, the oldest oldest used gemstones.
0: Yeah. Now it is a rock, and right. by that we don't mean you're going to go find it by digging in your ground. It just means that it's an aggregate of several minerals. Right. And so lapis lazuli, or I'll just call it lapis sometimes. Yeah, we can just just say lapis. This, yeah. Um, <laughs> It contains three specific minerals in varying amounts. The first is lazurite, which is responsible for the blue color that you see in the gemstone. Calcite, which are white spots that you can see throughout the gemstone. And pyrite, which gives you those gold flecks. It's fool's gold, so a lot of people think it's gold running through the gemstone.
1: Right. And then it can contain any number of other things as well, like augite, diopside, instatite, mica, yeah. hornblende. So there's a whole pile of There's
0: a whole pile of things. It's an aggregate. Things. So it's, yeah, A lot it's, of things can get mixed in.
1: Right. So, but it's primarily. Like a good bread. Primarily, <laughs> it's. Lazarite. um, And they figure that most lapis lazuli is in the 25 to 40% of it is made up of lazurite, which is a tectosilicate mineral of sulfate, sulfur, and chloride.
0: Very uh, technical there. Very technical. But what it does is it basically gives you that gorgeous blue color that is sometimes described as indigo, royal, midnight, or marine blue. But in its finest form, it is a violetish blue with medium to dark tone, and it's highly saturated. The most prized, prized, prized form has no calcite in it. So you can't, so you don't see any white, which um, I guess detracts or people feel it attracts from the blue color. It can wash out the blue color a little bit. Although gold-colored flecks of pyrite are okay in its most prized form, as long as they are small and sprinkled attractively through the gemstone, <laughs> um,
1: like and chocolate chips in cookies,
0: like chocolate chips, out just all these baking. It's all baking colors. now. <laughs> um, also, uh, you can have lapis lazuli that is just blue, just yeah. plain blue. Yeah, plain and blue. No, I honestly have never seen that. I I fancy the pyrite. Yeah. Um, and some calcite in it, but that's just me. The lowest quality of lapis is it tends to be a dull greenish color um, with either way too much pyrite or calcite. Think of it like a pink can spilling on top of something just like blah, pyrite explosion. Calcite explode. No.
1: <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, it is a semi-translucent to opaque gem. And it has a waxy to vitreous luster with a hardness from 5 to 6 on the Mohs scale, which makes it really good for those ancients to carve and shape and fashion into beads and all sorts of amulets and trinkets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. I mean, you want to talk about what it's been used for, all kinds of cool stuff, from the Neolithic burials to it was used in the funeral mask of Toot and common.
0: Yeah, so there are trade grades or what we you know trade kind of names for the different qualities of lapis. It's based on the color, but not, but it's named after the location. So this is where trade names sometimes get a little confusing. Like yeah. you think of Periba tourmaline, where people were calling it Periba, mm-hmm. but it wasn't from. Pariba, and so right. that whole kerfuffle mess. Yeah, uh, this is kind of similar to that. So you have your Persian or Afghan lapis, which is the highest quality, uniform in color, intense blue, little to no pyrite, and absolutely no calcite. Right. You have your Russian or Siberian, which has various tones of blue, contains pyrite and some calcite. Or you have your Chilean, which is um, tinged with green and has obvious calcite matrix. So it kind of go, goes down the scale. But just because it's called Chilean lapis doesn't actually mean it's from Chile, because you can get crap lapis from Afghanistan, too. Right. So... <laughs> I mean, so it's just kind of, which is what really kind of makes it confusing, but just know when you go to buy lapis, if somebody's calling it Chilean, it doesn't mean it's actually from Chile. So clarify that. Sure. While making the purchase or before the purchase. Um, so talking about mining locations, hmm. of course, you've got uh, Afghanistan, Russia, Chile, and the U.S., Colorado. Right. Okay, so Afghanistan is the most world-renowned and actually the oldest known commercial gemstone mine source.
1: Yeah. Six to seven thousand years. BC. Yeah.
0: So it's been mined for what?
1: So six thousand <laughs> No. Yeah, have been worked for more than six thousand years. So it's four thousand BC. Yeah. Or so it's been forever. Anyway, it's it's in the Kokcha River Valley of northeastern Afghanistan. And uh, that would have been the source for ancient Egyptians and Mesopotamian civilizations, as well as for the Greeks and Romans. And still today, it's still producing. Yeah, still still producing producing
0: today. So mining conditions are incredibly harsh. Mountains are steep with very deep ravines. Some mountain faces rise 17,000 feet above sea level.
1: Yeah, and they used a lot, like... Traditional mines, so to speak. Obviously, they didn't dig mines, but they used caves a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of caves, and then they found the lapis in caves. Yeah. So that, I thought that was really cool that they had like these natural mines, so to speak, the these caves that they were able to go in and harvest it, and it's found in limestone.
0: Uh huh. And so they often blast it out of out of the limestone uh, with dynamite, which is extremely dangerous and. Which- Obviously, came along later. At, at yeah. times, yeah, um, but the region is bare of vegetation, and really, the only reason that you would ever want to go there is to mine lapis. I think, Um, but how they do it is they're mined in huge caverns, kind of like Jonathan was saying, and they're all connected by narrow and hot passages to kind of get between them. Um, And the miners, what they'll do is they'll backpack up. They work in like ten day shifts. And then they come back down and they have to carry the blocks of lapis down on their back. They use really small, narrow trails. So they backpack the blocks of lapis down these steep mountain trails. Um, it's a pretty treacherous journey and it can take up to a week and a half for them to carry what they mined for 10 days down the mountain. Wow. Um, so this has been going on for millennia, and just the effort that it takes to get this gemstone out of the earth is pretty incredible. Hmm. Um, in ancient times, it was prized as much as any other blue gemstone, as much as your turquoise or your sapphire. And it was actually believed that in the Old Testament especially, when they're referring to sapphire and things like that, that... They didn't have sapphire. There was no source of sapphire back in that time. Right. And that really the only blue stone that they would know would have been lapis. So there's a lot on like the breastplate of Aaron, like we talked about, that uh, lapis lazuli, when they talk about sapphire, they're actually referencing lapis lazuli.
1: Right. Cause if you, if you, uh, go in Latin, the citation is actually Lapidus Saphiri, which is the term for lapis lazuli. Mm-hmm. So, um, it just depends on what translation of the Bible that you're looking at. And then some of the newer translations, like the New Living Translation, uh, refer to lapis lazuli instead of sapphire. They like, they no longer, like originally it was yeah. translated because it was, Lapidus it was just called the Sefiri. blue stone. It's a blue stone. And so
0: I think probably in King James' time, the most important blue stone would have been a sapphire. Right. So it makes sense that that, that mistake would have been made, but we've gone back and fixed it. Um, th- one of the things that I find super cool is that Marco Polo talks about these mines, um, these lapis mines in Afghanistan, or what was back then Bactria. Um, and he refers to them when he voyages across over to um, Asia. Yeah. And so there's a lot of history and lore that is associated with lapis. It has long been thought to increase courage. It has, uh, it represents royalty, uh, wisdom, intellect, and truth. Uh, It was especially favored by the Egyptians. Like Jonathan said, it was in King Tut's um, death mask. And actually the cool thing was, it was used as an inlay around his eyes to create the blue around his eyes, right. right? And so what they thought and what the ancient Egyptians would do was they would crush it into a powder and wear it around eyes to improve eyesight.
1: Yeah. another Is one that, that
0: how eyeshadow got started? I Probably. I know maybe. Cleopatra used to use it for eyeshadow as well.
1: Yeah. The ancient Egyptians believed that the soul existed in the mind and that it was housed in the brain. And the the lapis blue was a mental healer and soul purifier. So lapis was used to purge the soul of demonic possessions by, so they would crush it. They would mix it with gold and make it into a poultice and place it on the crown of the head. And as it would dry, they believed it would draw out the demons. Uh Uh-huh. And in extreme cases, they would actually drill a small hole into the skull.
0: That's intense.
1: And pour it into the head.
0: I think that would do more harm than good.
1: Yeah, you think?
0: (laughs) But there is this kind of association with lapis and demons. And I came across a really interesting story about King Solomon. Yeah. And uh, I... I will tell it to you. Okay. Because I think it's going to blow your mind. I was like, this is some of the craziest stuff I've ever heard or ever told on Gem Junkies, I think. So wait for it. Okay, so there's one of the most mysterious artifacts in all of history is King Solomon's lapis lazuli ring. And it's been mentioned by the Christian religion, the Jewish religion, and in Islamic legends. And it can also be known as the Ring of the Fisherman or the Seal of Solomon. Okay, so it's said that when King Solomon was building his temple, he noticed that someone was stealing his precious gems, and he thought... This isn't an ordinary thief. There's no way this could be an ordinary thief. It's some evil spirit that's up to some mischief. It's some demon that's doing this. So Solomon prayed to God to deliver the wicked spirit into His hands for punishment, and he got an answer. The arch, arc, arching, arch or arc, arc, oh. arc, archangel. Michael appeared before Solomon and he gave him a lapis lazuli ring that enabled him to control legions of demons." Yeah. Okay. So it gave him the power to summon these demons. And the ring was made of gold and it was inset with a seal that was engraved with lapis lazuli. Now there's a lot of like, what was the seal? What did the seal look like? Nobody knows. Obviously, we don't have the ring.
1: Especially if there's not like a movie or a book about it. I mean,
0: that. this wasn't a good Indiana Jones because yeah. wait for it. We're not done yet.
1: Oh, I know. It okay. keeps going. <laughs>
0: Okay, so Michael, the angel Michael said, All right, take this ring, O King Solomon, son of David, the gift which the Lord hath sent unto thee. Wear this ring and all the demons of the earth, both male and female, thou wilt command. Okay, so King Solomon, armed with his ring, commands the spirit that's stealing the gemstones to appear. So what he did was he wore the ring on the middle finger of his right hand. He pointed it at the foot of his throne and said, by the power of the seal of the one God, I command thee troublesome spirit to come forth. And bam, the demon appeared instantly with his hands full of jewels stolen from the royal vaults. Okay. So then the demon, of course, fell to his knees because Solomon can command this guy now because of his lapis ring. Yeah. And Solomon takes his ring burns it on the back of the demon's neck and now he's got control of the demon and he made that demon cut the stones for the temple
1: right
0: so apparently he employed like a whole host of demons because more legions legions Legions
1: is how i read it he employed legions of demons to
0: to build build his his temple. temple um and so there you go now where is the ring where is the ring? That's the question.
1: I can control so, the legions of demons.
0: Yeah. So according to Christian legend, Solomon's lapis ring is also believed to be our only weapon of salvation against the apocalypse. Whoa. It is, be- uh, it is believed it was hidden long ago, um, with its power still intact, of course, to cast away the demons. Um, it also, Some people think that it is protected deep inside the realms of the Vatican in reach of the hands of the Pope and only the Pope. He is the only person who is believed worthy enough to use the ring for its intended power. There's also another thing where they think that the Pope is given a replica of this ring when he takes office. And then after he dies, that ring is destroyed and another ring is made. So a similar lapis ring, but a different seal. So there's also that legend that kind of goes around too, kind of to relate back to King Solomon's lapis mm-hmm. ring. So one of the crazier stories so lapis will get rid of demons and uh, save you from the apocalypse <laughs> you know? but uh
1: I it- thought the coolest thing having the coolest story I found yeah this supposedly it's the earliest recorded instance of semi-precious stones being used for religious purposes uh-huh comes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead.
0: Oh my gosh, I have quotes from the Book of the Dead.
1: Yeah. So a a ritual for safe passage and protection from evil for for their deceased, Lapis Lazuli, named Chesbit Uh by the Egyptians, was used in many amulets to be placed on the body. Um, And there's two special chapters of the Book of the Dead that were engraved on Lapis Lazuli. The 26th chapter referencing the heart and Uh the 140th chapter on the symbolic eye were made from lapis and ornamented in gold.
0: Yeah, so one of the most important parts of a mummification or the mummification process was actually removing the heart. The heart was really significant in the afterlife. Right. So what would happen was they would remove the heart, they would mummify it separately, and that heart couldn't be returned to the body until it was weighed in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you were a good par- person, you you would get your heart back. If not, you never get your heart back. Mm-hmm. And so what they would do was they would carve a scarab beetle, which actually symbolized the heart. And after the the heart had been removed and the mummy was anointed with oil, they would actually say a prayer placing the lapis scarab beetle over the heart. Right. So that that um it would protect him until he got his heart back.
1: But I thought that was actually cool that two of the chapters of the Book of the Dead are actually carved into lapis.
0: Yeah, the Egyptians loved lapis. Their, yeah. um, judges and pharaohs would wear it. Um, they would carve the symbol of truth on it and it would help them in their decision making. It was also kind of like a status symbol thing. Yeah. Um, there was a thing where they would also carve the eye on it, the ancient, the Egyptian eye, and it would ward off evil spirits. So kind of like the, their, their evil eye kind of a thing. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been used for uh, talismans and amulets all throughout history and carved. Um, I mean, it was in um, Chinese burials and African burials and just yeah. the the history of this one gemstone. And that's kind of why I was so excited to do it, because it's been around
1: forever. 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 You, yeah.
0: We knew there were going to be some crazy stories about mm-hmm. this gemstone. Like the King we knew Solomon's
1: ring is pretty cool.
0: But that was pretty cool. I read that I started reading this and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I need to know more." <laughs> I need to get down in the Vatican. But uh one of my favorite things was that uh Michelangelo used it as paint.
1: Right. It was used in the Sistine it Chapel. It, yeah, it was used a lot. And so um especially by the end of the Middle Ages, it, they started exporting it to Europe where it was ground into powder and it was made into what's called Ultramarine, which means beyond the sea. And it was the finest and most expensive of all pigments. Um, and it was used by some of the most important artists of the Renaissance.
0: I mean, I can understand why it was probably one of the most important pigments, knowing how it's even still mined today. Like, yeah. can you imagine? Yeah. Um, yeah. They didn't have dynamite back then. No. Uh, but so in ancient Rome, here's the, those, these Romans are always like, Lapis was believed to be a powerful aphrodisiac. It always goes back to that with the Romans. Um, With
1: eating it, yeah.
0: (laughs) No, I don't think they ate it. But it symbolized love, peace, and joy. And they would actually make it into a compound very similar to what you were saying, where they would put it on the body Oh, to draw out negative emotions. Um, so you not like a, ne- like a demon, but like negative emotions. Negative emotions. So that seems to have been circulating, percolating mm-hmm. around for quite a few millennia yeah. now. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: There's Lapis.
1: Yeah. A lot of different uses, a lot of different history. A lot yeah. of...
0: It is a beautiful gemstone. It going from, you know, it's history and lore to uh, what it's like in the market today. You do need to be careful because they they do diet. Yeah. So you'll want to make sure it's not like dyed. how dyed halite. Yeah. a, a gem well. That's a substitute, substitute for it. Substitute
1: for it, yeah.
0: But uh, gemologists should be able to pick it up pretty quickly. They also, and, and a lot of them aren't very stable. So a lot of the... It's kind of
1: crumbly. Yeah. Or? So
0: it's not, it's not really a stable uh, treatment for mm-hmm. dyeing. And what they'll often do too, sometimes so the dye doesn't leak out, is they'll coat it in wax. And what happens to wax when it gets hot... So that's not very stable. So it's, it's not very stable. Um, so just be careful you know where you're buying your lapis from and make sure it's not dyed or wax treated or oil filled or anything like that. Okay. But other than that, if you guys have any questions about lapis, feel free to email us. And you can always see what we're doing in our real life on Instagram or Facebook at Parley Gems. I'm Brecken. And I'm Jonathan. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye-bye.